Hello, welcome to the Beastie Bothy, a monthly Folklore Scotland podcast about the mythological and actual creatures of Scotland. I'm Rasheen. And I'm Rosie. And today we're going to be talking about a small, dark stranger. But first, it's Guess the Beastie. <laughs> Slowly fades out. <laughs> okay, so the Beastie this month is very small, no bigger than a child. Okay, interesting. Mm-hmm. I think it narrows it down quite a lot. Yeah, I would say there's definitely some clues in the wording there, but but go on. <laughs> okay. Give me another clue. Your second clue. It makes its home among people, often living with them in their very houses. Don't like that. No. Could be nice, like a little mm. pet. Perhaps mm. a sibling. Mm. No. No? Okay. <laughs> Final clue for you then. Blonde-haired children were the most in danger from this particular beastie. Right, and so it has victims. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah okay, so not a nice beastie. Right, right. <laughs> okay, well, I think um, something that is no bigger than a child, but victimizes children uh, and lives in people's houses, to me, that's got to be a changeling. Yes, you are correct. Rosie is never wrong, people. Woo! Yes. The beastie is a changeling. This fairy creature was often left with parents while their own bairns were taken away into fairyland. The changeling acted suspiciously, never quite like a baby, never seemed to quite fit into the human world. And you could only realize that it was a changeling uh, if you caught it in the act doing something suspicious, for example, playing the violin beautifully. Or in the case of one story, man rushes into the house to yell, Ah, oh, the fairy hill over there is on fire. And up jumps this little baby saying, I hope my wife and my kids are okay. And he flies up the chimney back to his fairyland. So that might have been a shock for mum. I don't like that. No. <laughs> Would have been a little gross. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. However, our guest the beastie is not the beast of the month. Although mm-hmm. they do have some things in common. Our beast of the month is also a fairy. It's also small, although not quite as small as a changeling. But unlike a changeling, it's nice to children. Oh, that's nice. We've got a nice beastie. Yay. Lovely. So excited. (laughs) So without further ado, here's the beast of the month. (laughs) So the beast of the month is the Gillie Doo. A male fairy of slight stature with dark hair and a kind nature. Oh, Yeah. The name Gillydoo in Gaelic refers to a dark-haired boy. And in uh, Mackenzie's 1921 book, he claimed that he was named so due to the black of his hair. So we're a very imaginative people. The Gillydoo was found in the birch woods in the Gerlock and Lochadruing area in the Northwest Highlands. He dressed in mosses and leaves, seemingly scavenged from the trees of his home. And actually, the ghillie suit is derived from this image being covered in mosses and leaves. He's one of those rare fairies that are actually benevolent. Generally, fairies fall into two camps. Those that are actually evil and deliberately seek out humans to hurt and torment them. And those that just don't really care what humans are up to, but might still be evil if they feel like it. But there are outliers that are a lot closer to the kindly fairies of popular culture today, like the brownies who are household helpers, and it seems the gilly-doo. 
Though even brownies can become boggarts if mistreated, and Gillydoo was known to be wild sometimes, as well as kind. He has a reputation of being particularly gentle and kind towards children. There is a genuine theory from Susan Schoon Eberly, who studied the folklore and is considered an authority on congenital disorders, that Gillydoo could have been a human being with medical condition. Other academics do agree with her, suggesting he might even have had dwarfism. This relates quite nicely to our guest, the be- guest, the beastie. Did you get it? <laughs> guest, the beastie. Oh, the changeling. Oh, she's, so, so funny. oh she's so funny. Uh, changelings are described in very odd ways, but often they're seen as behaving like adults well before they are adults or having difficulty making eye contact, holding conversations, ways in which they don't quite fit in with the rest of society. You also get changelings described as being born lame or with a limp, any kind of physical deformity. So this has led to scholars hypothesizing that some changeling tales uh, developed in an attempt to explain people who are born different, either with a physical disability, developmental disability, or neurodivergent. And we can actually see trace of this. Uh, Changelings were also known as Oaf, historically referred to, uh, and this means in the Old Norse, elf. So when we use oaf to mean someone who is silly or stupid, we're thinking about an elf, something completely different. Mm. So it wouldn't be the first time that a beastie has been used to describe something that they didn't have a medical explanation for at the time. So I find the theory that Gillydew could be a real person, but with dwarfism, quite interesting because... I'm used to reading fairy stories where the fairies are just human-sized and I'm used to kind of dealing with the, mis- the like modern misconception that fairies were small. And so when it specified Gillydoo as being small, I thought he's just a slight a slight guy. Um as opposed to thinking he was like fairy small. Um but you know, obviously I assume they have good reason to interpret it that way and when you think about it if he was a real person having a medical condition that set him apart from other people, then that might make it more likely that he would find himself apart from society mm-hmm. and living alone in the woods. Especially if you think about, say a child is born with dwarfism, then you've got every chance that the parent might look at it and go, this is a changeling. And leave them in the woods. Or leave them in the woods or raise them until there were too many questions about is your child really a child? Because unfortunately, with the changeling myths, you get a lot of stories about so-called changelings being drowned or beaten or burned in an attempt to scare away the fairy influence. Mm-hmm. And another interesting aspect is that in other fairy stories, the fairies are usually quite ethereal and they have kind of beautiful magical clothing or at least their clothing is similar to human clothing, sometimes a bit old fashioned and sort of out of time. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think the very physical nature of Gillydoo's clothing, the fact that he's wearing leaves and moss that he has had to like himself scavenge from the world around him instead of just being magically garbed, I think is quite interesting and sets him apart. Yeah, I think so. I have to agree, especially as well. The story of the Gilly Doo recorded by uh, Osgood Mackenzie, what a name, hmm. um, in 1921, 100 Years in the Highlands, 
he describes the story of the Gilly Doo as only really appearing within 40 years. Sightings of him appearing mm. within the same amount of time. And then suddenly falling away. So we only mm-hmm. really have this story of the Gilly Doo appearing in this one place. Only for a specified period of time. And he only ever spoke to one person. So... Mm-hmm. Uh, very well could be a real person who was just trying to live yeah. live his life best he can. And yeah. glad that he was kind. Yeah, that's nice. <laughs> On the other hand, if he was a fairy, we've got lots of fun stories about this area of the Highlands being really close to uh, druidic practices. Mm-hmm. There is a very cool island nearby uh, with a wishing tree that Queen Victoria once visited. And they think there used to be um, pagan sacrifices that were <laughs> taking place there so maybe it's just a hanger on from that time <laughs> we imagine druids is wearing all kinds of like leaves and vines and being very in touch with nature so maybe it's yeah. just like a spirit yeah <laughs> i do find it quite interesting we don't have as many like guardian spirits in scotland yeah yeah like there's i, I think you kind of see more like sacred sites that people mm. would take pilgrimages to and I think it tends to be you know you get a lot of saint worship in like because it kind of I'm not an expert in this subject but if you've got a pagan society and they are worshipping multiple deities and then Christianity in the form of Catholicism comes in it's a lot easier to make the transition if those pagan deities are now saints and they can just continue going to their sacred sites and worshipping them and like generally gods and goddesses have been associated with bodies of water for like a long time in Britain so that's all I can think of is that Mm. it's these outside the home kind of places as opposed to the guardian spirits that you see elsewhere and then you've also got the brownie which is a little bit yeah a little bit similar i'm just thinking more along the lines of you know the classic trope of the mystical spirit that shows you where to go Mm -hmm. but that's probably appropriated from several other cultures (laughs) yeah i mean it's interesting because fairies are just generally very malevolent here Mm. (laughs) and it seems often when there's someone who helps you they themselves are a victim of the fairies and not fairy themselves so (laughs) yeah no generally generally fairies are something to be avoided take that as a warning guys no don't look for fairies yeah (laughs) (laughs) stay within your ball face (laughs) so we have a story this month of the gilly do actually one of the only stories of the gilly do Once, a long time ago, on a warm summer's evening, a young girl named Jessie McRae was wandering in the woods. Summer days in Scotland are extremely long, and in fact, we don't even experience true nighttime for part of the season. And so time had passed without Jessie realising just how late it was, and she found herself out alone in the woods, beginning to feel very tired, and realising she didn't know the way back. Just when she was beginning to lose hope and had resigned herself to sitting on a tree stump and crying, a kindly voice rang through the woods. There, there, nay need to greet we, lass. All will be well. She looked up into the gentle face of a slight, dark-haired youth, dressed in the green of the forest. I am the Gilly Doo, and I'll see you safely home, he said. 
He gave Jessie a dinner of nuts and summer berries, and a bed of woodland moss on which to spend the night. The next day, as dawn broke, he showed her the way back through the forest to the village. So relieved was Jessie to see the end of the trees that she ran straight out into the clear air. When she turned to thank the gillydew, he had already disappeared back into the forest. Jessie told all who would believe her, and many that didn't, about her encounter with the gillydew, and how he had rescued her from her plight. But this didn't have the effect that she had hoped. Shortly after Jessie's rescue, the landowner, Sir Hector Mackenzie of Gerloch, invited a group of Mackenzie nobles to join him in his attempt to hunt down and capture the gillydew. Luckily, the hunt was unsuccessful, but the gillydew was never seen nor heard from again. Oh. Sad. Yeah. I'm glad he wasn't captured. Yeah, I am. I am glad. But I wonder if he was, um, if he was a real person with potentially a medical condition. He either couldn't live that long in the wild by himself, or perhaps he had a reduced lifespan lifespan anyway, and that that was kind of it for him. That would be kind of it's sad. pretty sad. But let's... maybe it's a fairy. <laughs> maybe he's a fairy. Maybe it's just a fairy, and he was just like, uh, "Here come these lads in kilts trying to hunt me down." Yeah, and uh, I'll I'll just run away. Uh, I'm just... He's wearing a ghillie suit after all. He'll be yeah, fine. I'm gone. Yeah. So let's let's continue with the line that he's a fairy and talk about um, maybe what the message of this story is and what kind of is at the heart of it that has led it to endure today. Um, so I felt that there's a little in there about the innocence of childhood being lost in the sense that, you know, Jessie tells her story, perhaps never imagining the domino effect that it would cause. And this kind of childlike hope for kindness and friendship gives way to man's need to conquer and suppress. So we also have this story coming out of times when the world was growing increasingly industrial. So there's also a theme of humans in our infancy as a species being helped and nourished by nature and then turning on it and flushing it out once we have the power of our own. Mm -hmm. Definitely something in there about the hubris, because in uh, earlier versions of the tale, you also get little side notes about how all these men dressed up in their hunting finest and they went to go hunt down the skilly dude. They had to stop at a, a farm along the way and ate like a, the biggest feast that this farmer could prepare for them. But they didn't have any cutlery. So they were using their dirks to cut into the meat. And it, mm. I feel like the message there was supposed to be quite humorous, imagining these mm-hmm. great lords with their, all their hunting finery and nothing to hunt with it. Um, and whether that's supposed to be talking about the hubris of man trying to go after nature, trying to go after mm-hmm. magic and fairy, thinking that it's something that could be hunted. Yeah, absolutely. Here is our latest section. Was it comfy? <laughs> In this section, we're going to be talking about where you might be able to find some of the beasties that we welcome into the bothy. Uh, so for some of them, like the Pine Martin, which we did last month, you can find them all over the place. But for the Gilly Dew, you can only find it in one area. And this is the Birch Woods near to Gerloch. Uh, birch has a very interesting history in Scotland and the wider UK in general. So we have three species that are native to Scotland. Downy Birch, Silver Birch and Dwarf Birch. It's widespread availability all over Scotland led J.C. Loudon in his 1842 book, Encyclopedia of Trees and Shrubs, 
to proclaim that the Highlanders of Scotland make everything of it. And it's true because it's been used in building materials, in crafting tools and furniture, and even as fuel for distilling whiskey. The birch is known as a pioneer species. It's hardy. It can live in the acidic soil that we have up here in Scotland. And it's got widespread pollination distribution. So after the Ice Age, birch was actually one of the first trees that populated the land. The birch tree, known as bay in Gaelic, was known in Druid mythology as the Lady of the Woods. It was associated with light, new beginnings, love, and fertility. It was also associated with protection, and so it was used to drive out the spirits of the old year during Samhain, or bound together in a besom broom to sweep away evil spirits. Interestingly, a besom broom is often the one you'll see a witch riding on. So, don't know what's going on there. <laughs> Got the wrong wood, witchy. Yeah, I mean, besom itself becomes an insult for, like, an annoying woman. Like, troublesome old besom. <laughs> it's often the broom used to to sweep, and in gardens, and to sweep a home because it's you're sweeping away bad energies and evil spirits mm. warding off the evil eye but also it was just readily available so it would be fairly common i think to see a woman sweeping with a besom broom <laughs> uh, <laughs> i was wondering though did this spirit of protection bleed into the story of the gilly do because it seems unusual that the protective fairy is seen to be clothed in birch leaves and twigs yeah absolutely um like I can definitely imagine, given that they felt the need to specify that he liked yeah. Birchwood. And you don't really get many, like, uh, further research for the podcast looking into what other stories could maybe have occurred in a Birchwood. It's really only in this one that it's very much specified. Mm -hmm. So I feel like there must be some reason that it is. Yeah, absolutely. So this area of Scotland is absolutely peppered with lochs. In fact, one such loch holds an island which in itself has its own loch. Uh, this is giving Seventh Son of a Seventh Son vibes. Yeah, very powerfully magical island. Yeah. So, Gerlach legend suggests that this is where the Fairy Queen holds her court every year. In some tales of the Gillydew, he is said to have been banished from the Fairy Queen's court. If this was the case, he didn't seem to go very far. And that does kind of make sense. He probably got banished from her court for being nice. Yeah. <laughs> Although if it was the Seely Queen. Yeah, no, actually, the Seely Queen and the Unseely Courts, that's your classic. Seely Court are treat humans like rocks or deer. Yeah. Unseely Court are like, oh, we're here to mess up your life, little human man. Yeah. Um. So honestly, if the Gilly Dew was sympathetic to humans, he would have been going against both. One of the most famous locks is Loch Marie. It said that the water of the loch was also protective, helping to cure any disease, but most especially the insane. You also have some pretty cool stories about uh, Isle Marie on Loch Marie, and you've got a great oak tree in the middle of that island that's known as the Wishing Tree, and Queen Victoria actually visited that one. Mm. But that was the island I was referring to at the beginning of the podcast when we talked about all the strange pagan rituals that were taking place in Gerlot. Uh -huh. So just a very uh, magical kind of area. <laughs> so the... Yeah, I'll introduce it. Okay, so um, we sometimes have a weirdest fact section, uh, but this time it's more just some fun thoughts I had when uh, learning about this story. 
Um, so I think it's interesting that we have another young male fairy with dark hair, uh, because Tamlin is similarly described. And I find it also fun and interesting that there's a piece of Scottish folklore about New Year's Day. Scots traditionally spend New Year's Day first footing, that is, going out and calling on all the neighbours with gifts, being the first foot over the doorstep in the new year. Women would stay home to receive guests, and men would go out and be guests themselves. <laughs> I'm annoyed by that. <laughs> <laughs> so it was said that to receive a dark-haired man as your first foot was good luck, but a blonde man was bad luck. And I thought the dark hair coming up again in the sort in connection with something benevolent was interesting uh, especially because most people in Scotland have brown hair <laughs> so yeah. like where is this obsession coming from uh, side note there's also a theory that I mean I'm not even sure if this is a theory or just a kind of little another bit of um, folklore uh, that the blonde hair being associated with Vikings is what made it bad luck because if a Viking showed up on your doorstep it probably probably yeah. rob, rob you that wouldn't be great yeah but it's true um when we spoke about the selkies we talked about how they're always described as ethereally beautiful with long black hair mm -hmm. and changeling children are that are most in danger are blonde children yeah. so it's a blonde children that should be distrusted yeah and maybe again it's because we're all well mostly uh brown black haired people so if a person did have a blonde baby you'd be like uh who's the daddy <laughs> <laughs> maybe the passing viking was visiting your daughter <laughs> would be quite interesting mm -hmm. although i do wonder because it's the same with um looking around scotland we've got an absolute plethora of locks named something do mm -hmm. or a black isle or any kind of yeah area that's named something do because it's all black 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 yeah, I also wonder if it was truly black hair because, and, it, and if it wasn't just very dark brown, because mm. <laughs> I think you see that quite a lot where in folklore, like they'll describe something as being like black or dark, and they just mean like some like John Smith with darker than normal brown like yeah. brown hair. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> a very dark, dark man. It was chestnut, not <laughs> Yeah, it's also quite interesting, I suppose. I don't know how this would relate, but um, in the area where my mum grew up, sort of uh, in Kincardineshire, I think she said that they knew the people in the area that had the darkest hair were the ones that were fairly recently um, immigrated Irish people. Oh. Yeah, so there's that. But then, like, also the association with benevolence is interesting because also when, when there was a huge influx of Irish people, the amount of discrimination and hate that they got in Scotland is mm. insane, so don't know what puzzle piece that is <laughs> i think interestingly i read something recently about scottish people having hugely diverse dna profiles considering Indeed. 
we're a rather insular nation yeah yeah I... um, and it was saying that for many people across time scotland was as far west as you could go yeah so it was just the end point for a lot of these pilgrimages mm-hmm. not to mention the amount of passing of people that you had so vikings might drop off cargo including people as it were and just never come back let them wander yeah. away <laughs> Is it, you know same they bring back wives and whoever else from all over the world Mm -hmm. so it's just quite interesting to see how we've got we've got this huge melting pot and maybe we've got this big melting pot of mythology as well yeah i also i think i've seen theories about um selkies being related to i think the sami people yeah and i guess that's another interesting thing of like maybe they saw uh, like traveling, traveling people from different parts of the world, and they associated the the very dark hair with a kind of otherworldliness. Mm-hmm. All right, so we've looked a little bit at birch trees and their meaning, but here's a few more, and that's my fun facts for the week. Nothing quite as insightful as Rosie's. <laughs> uh, maples were often made of birch. There you go. How do you feel about that? I think maypoles should be made of maple trees. <laughs> <laughs> Funny state on the podcast. <laughs> That's so bad. <laughs> well, uh, the second one, twigs. Uh, <laughs> birch twigs were often used to ignite Beltane fires. The Yule log is traditionally birch. Mm-hmm. Maybe it should have been you. <laughs> I should be fair. Um, I know that silver birch trees have that really papery bark, mm. so maybe it's like kindling and wood all in one. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> that's quite well. <laughs> um, cradles made from birch are said to protect an infant from harm, and for the same reason, a small piece of birch carried upon a person will prevent kidnapping by the she. Huh. Little did you know. Yeah, I, that's what's wrong with me. I should have been carrying birch this whole time. Yeah. Also, interesting here, if you're protecting children from harm with birch, child goes into a birch forest and here comes the gilly doo. Uh-huh. Yeah. I think there's got to be crossover. Definitely. This is my head canon. Yes, we've solved it. We've, we've solved... solved it. It's the birch trees. Yes, we've birch solved folklore. They also make wine out of the sap oh. from birch. Oh, lovely. Which I've never tried, but I'm curious. I once drank birch water. Ooh. Yeah, they were selling it in boots as part of the meal deal, so you know it was a bit bougie. And <laughs> there was I one... never expected <laughs> boots meal deal. Yeah. Birch water, Birch water. tapped. Yeah, it kind of it tasted like water that passed through a tree. <laughs> it, it was essentially Delicious. tree urine. <laughs> there was a little thing. Um, I was raised in America, and the chat on the playground was that if you scratched at the trunk of a birch tree a silver birch tree it would um smell like root beer but it's just uh, an absolute league of trunks <laughs> covered with little scratches you'd be like no the next one will smell like root beer no the next one will smell like root beer you're not doing it right obviously obviously but i'm not gonna harm the birch trees because they were there to protect me so it's time for our final section and frankly i got tired of saying would you pet it about humanoid creatures yeah. <laughs> so this week it's would you hang out with him 
Ah, uh, such a quick answer. Yes, of course I'd hang out with him. Ten out of ten. Abs- absolutely. I, I'd, we'd have a little fashion show. We'd wear all our little birch leaves together, birch bikini. <laughs> we'd just have a great time. I'd just chat with him about his life and times. I think we'd have a wonderful time. Absolutely. Yeah. Agree. Although I wouldn't want their... I, I, I don't think I'd want any kids. Like, with him? Or... <laughs> <He's> like, <laughs> <invited>. <laughs> I don't want to after children when I'm in my birch right. bikini. Right. Okay. No children at this gathering. No. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Beastie Bothy on the Gilly Do. We hope you enjoyed it, because we did. If you like what we're doing, make sure to follow us. We have our own social media now. Yay, very exciting. So we're at Beastie Bothy on most platforms. If you want to find out more about what we're doing, come and check out the Folklore Scotland website. We've got a huge library of stories on there and we're providing a platform for all artists who want to talk about Scottish mythology and yeah if you've got any suggestions for beasties don't hesitate to reach out please we're so lonely over here <laughs> please please talk about the beasts with us. please <laughs> I'm so sick of Rosie's company one more. one more person in the boffy we've been, we've been stuck here for months <laughs> all through midwinter we've not been allowed to leave <laughs> Thank you, bye! Bye! Thank you for listening to the Folklore Scotland podcast. We'll be back every week with more folkloric content from stories to analysis. The podcast is brought to you by Folklore Scotland, the charity that aims to make Scottish folklore accessible using digital platforms, telling the tales of the past with the technology of today. If you'd like to become a voluntary contributor or would like to get in touch, pop us an email at info at folklorescotland.com and you can find all of our social media as well as a list of sources in the show notes below. The charity also now has a Ko-fi page which you can find in the show notes if you'd like to help us continue the work that we do. Thanks for listening and we'll see you next time. <laughs>